make room in your hearts for us. Maybe if they kicked out the false teachers, they'd have a little more space. Um, and he says, you know, we haven't wronged anybody, corrupted anybody, taken advantage of anybody. I'm not trying to put you on the defensive. I'm not trying to condemn you. Like I said before, you're in our hearts to die together and to live together. It's amazing how open Paul with, was with them. It's amazing how Paul makes himself so vulnerable. I love you guys. You mean so much to me. It's just, it's just, wow. It's an incredible attitude. It's an incredible heart. That, that he, he says, you're in our hearts to die to live together. He says, I, great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I'm filled with comfort. I'm overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. It's been a tremendous relief that they're doing as well as they're doing, but he's still worried about them. And he's still begging them, open up to us more. And quit, quit shutting us out. Uh, you make yourself vulnerable. You take initiative. You show your love for people, even when you don't know if they're going to just burn you back. Are they just going to just kind of hold away from you? Say, man, you know, and you show them I really care about you. I'm really willing to take initiative to try to help you. And the person's like, who are you? We risk that when we do that. But Paul was willing because he loved them. Thoughts and comments? Jason. I appreciate Paul, though, you know, he's currently had their problems and they had their issues. He still has high expectations for them, and he's really trying to encourage them. He still has confidence in them that they are going to do have you noticed how children tend to live up or down to their parents' expectations? You tell your kids all the time, you're a bunch of knuckleheads, they'll probably be. But if you tell them how you respect them and the potential of good you see in them, they try to live up to that. I think Paul does that here. I think he puts as positive a spin on what he sees in the Corinthians as possible, tries to help them live up to that. Good point. Eric. Yeah, amen. You can see the expression of love and his believing all things here. Yes? Verses 2 and 3, mentioning, you know, opening up to each other, the idea that uh, we're going to die together and live together. Um, It really shows the importance of being together, being like a family. And I wonder how many Christians kind of each other for granted. Mm-hmm. Good point. Other thoughts? So, five through, uh, let's do five to seven. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. When we were troubled on every side, outside were conflicts, and inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comes downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, 
but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you, when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Well, finally, <laughs> we've been waiting since 2.13 for this. You remember what 2.12 and 13 said? Now when I came to Troas with the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not binding Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within, but God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So, wow, you can see the anxiety. You know, Paul was worried, Timothy was over, or Titus rather, was overdue in keeping this appointment. He was worried about it. How did they respond to the letter? How did they receive Titus? What might have happened Titus to Titus in the travel? And boy, it was just such a relief. It was so encouraging when he found Titus. You almost feel like he just had all this pent-up emotion. It was just such a release. Wow. He just, God comforted us, comforted us by the coming of Titus. I, I love the way Paul ascribes all blessings to God. God comforted us by the coming of Titus. He sees this as God's blessing to him. You know, Titus came. That was an encouragement. Titus told him good news. That was really encouragement. He told him about the turnaround that, that, that he saw in the attitude of the Corinthians. So, so what I see in this again is Paul caring deeply about his brethren. Teachers have and should have feelings and emotions. You know, Paul is not this model of the stoic. Totally impassive and indifferent. Nothing ever affects him. He's kind of above that. That's not Paul. He's deeply affected by their condition. He's not clinically objective. He's deeply and emotionally involved with them. You know, he's carrying the weight of working with spiritually dysfunctional people who sometimes are pretty difficult when you're trying to get them to grow up spiritually. And Paul just gave himself. For, for not only the Corinthians, think about all the people on Paul's mind. Think about all the people he's praying for all the time and worried about and cares about and intensely loves. We are way, way, way too focused on ourselves. Paul is just like, he cared about them so much. And so it was just a relief. It was just amazing. I mean, it just, it's just hard to imagine. I mean, you wonder if Paul just, you know, was able to just kind of, for the first time in a long time, just kind of relax. I mean, what if he didn't sleep better that night? You know, after all that worry and anxiety, and there are still concerns. But overall, it was a really positive report. Titus is fine. Titus was happy with the Corinthians, felt good about being there, and the reception was good. So that is really a blessing. And Paul is so happy about it. Thoughts and comments? Jason. I think that this is a perfect example of the benefits of reading a, like a large chunk of Scripture at a time. Like you mentioned, you know, reading through a book a week. You know, if, if we were doing a verse-by-verse -verse study that all, a lot of us typically do in like a Bible study type setting, you know, it might be several months between 2.12 <laughs> and 7.5, you know. So 
completely would overlook that and forget that, but it, it helps to see the whole picture. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of value trying to read a book at once and just trying to kind of see the whole picture. Yeah, good point. Other thoughts? Alright, so um, let's go ahead and uh, work on age of 12. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow, has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. Don't you just love Paul? Wow. Though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. He, it looks to me like he's saying that after he sent the letter, he regretted sending it. It is hard to confront. I hate confrontation. It is emotionally exhausting. It's tense. You know, you just have all these misgivings. You know, and, and he sent the letter and it just increased his anxiety. He felt insecure. You know, did he say the right thing? Did he say it too strong? How are they going to receive it? Man, I mean, sometimes when you have to tell people things they don't want to hear, or you are afraid they don't want to hear, that is hard. And, and you hate it sending it in a letter. You know, it's like, you ever sent a text or something like that? And you can tell they read it. You know they got it. You wait, you wait, and you wait. Whoa. When it's something tangible, something difficult, it's like, it, you can do the same thing in personal confrontation. I mean, you, you talk to somebody, and you tell them something, they just kind of stand there, and you're like, okay, we can say something. You know, how are you receiving this? Um... So it, I think it's just hard to deal with brethren when they need rebuke. I mean, that's just a stressful thing. It was for Paul. But now he's, he doesn't regret it anymore because the letter caused you sorrow. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> you know, kind of funny he says it that way. But, but, I mean, think about it. Is there a way to produce painless, griefless repentance? I, mean, I don't think people are going to change if they don't feel bad. So, causing them sorrow is a necessary step in the repentance process. Now, granted, not all sorrow is productive, but there's was. And so the good outcome of the sorrow that led to the repentance more than compensated Paul for all the stress he had after he sent it. It's kind of like seeing your son operated on. Who wants to do that? But on the other hand, you want a good result. There's good reasons to want that sometimes. You know, I mean, this was a painful operation where Paul happened to get after them by letter. I was uncomfortable. But it caused them sorrow 
it wasn't that they he was rejoicing in their sorrow per se, but it, they were made sorry to point of repentance. So what do you see in Paul? You know, he cared more about their soul than their feelings. You know, we're a lot of times you just don't want people to feel bad. I, you know, I, I don't want to make them feel bad. Whatever I do, I don't want you to feel bad. Well, why not? Sometimes we ought to feel bad. I mean, we're not going to change if we don't feel bad. So we got to try to get over wanting to make sure we never make anybody feel bad. Because they need that. I mean, you think about Jesus, the apostles, the prophets. We need to be challenged. We don't need people helping us make excuses. We need people holding our feet to the fire. Paul had a share of enemies. You can see why. But they were their sorrow was not the worldly sorrow, it was the godly sorrow. You know, you're rebuked. You feel bad. That can go one of two ways. It can lead you to bitterness and self-pity. Or it can lead you to repentance. Because you're going to feel bad when your foolish actions create difficult consequences. But in this case, instead of just turning against themselves or against Paul, they turned to God and they repented. They took the matter seriously. They put themselves in the right. You know, you're going to feel bad when you mess up. Let that lead you to repentance, not feeling sorry for yourself. Or, or just feeling angry. I talk to a lot of guys who like, after they sin, they just feel angry. At themselves, at other people, at God. No! Turn to God. Humble yourself before God and beg for God's forgiveness and help. Sorrow is not going to help you if it's not godly sorrow. Plenty of people feel sorry, but they don't turn to God. That's what repentance has to do. It has to turn us to God. So Paul, when he sees, they've changed. Look at verse 11, look at verse 12. He saw lots of, you know, practical manifestations of change. Their godly sorrow, their, it showed they were, they, they had the right attitude. Their fear, their longing, their zeal, their avenging of wrongs. They really showed by their action and reaction that they were willing to do the right thing. Yes. That great illustration, Judas and Peter, both of them were sorrowful. But Judas didn't turn to God, Peter did. What a contrast. Winston. make any changes we need to make to correct our lives, to really follow through on the repentance, and it may require radical change in all kinds of ways. Eric. Probably, or toward the center. Take This application is a 
Example and those feelings that he had. And I think it's cool how in verse 13 he says it was wanting their exchange of and for them to open up their hearts, just like he had opened up his. And we saw back in chapter 2 how happy wrote the first letter that he was weeping over it. He was crying, very, very emotional. And now we see in chapter 7 that openness of heart, and that they also were sorrowful as well. So there was that exchange. Mm-hmm. Yes, there was openness on both sides, very much. Yes. Awesome. I wonder if people were using this to distance themselves as well. So you remember that time that he, he caused us sorrow and pain. Here Paul makes that to rest. And do we do that in our lives? When people do bring us correction and talk to us, do we distance ourselves or, or do we use that? And, and likewise, the, the opposite is that person So you hope that the confrontation makes the one confronted even closer to and appreciate the one who did the confronting, and made the one who did the confronting, once they repent, very accepting of that and willing to move forward in the relationship. Yeah, good. Alright, here's what I think we're going to do. I think I'd like for us to take a break here for about 15 minutes. 